How do you get a positive outcome from a difficult conversation? That's what we're talking about today on this episode of The Working Therapist. Welcome to The Working Therapist, a podcast designed to help you grow in your therapy practice. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. Now here are your hosts, Hayden Bolick and Kirstie Miles. Okay, another big, sometimes difficult conversation can be if you ask them to do complicated equipment in the home program. Sometimes you have to really think about what are you asking them to do and what equipment they have in the home, too. So like you said, more questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Another conversation that can be difficult sometimes is, especially this happens at outpatient, if the family's coming back with you therapy, which I think is great, hey, bring the family on back. I prefer the family to come back with me in therapy with the child versus them sitting in the waiting room. I much prefer them to be back with me in therapy. But sometimes I've had a situation where... The parent comes back and the child I see in therapy comes back and then their other two siblings. And so sometimes you've got a room full of people, you know, and then you're like, well, it's all it turns into suddenly crowd control and you're not getting anything done therapeutic. And I want them back in therapy. Maybe the way that that mother or father or whoever it is, the way their expectations for behavior and maybe a way a child behaves in a therapy session or, or a, like a doctor's office or an office is different than maybe how I think it should go, right? So sometimes that can be a difficult conversation because I'm kind of stepping into a weird behavior management place, right? What I do, and I don't know what you do, Kirstie, but I'd like to hear about it in just a second, is what I do is like, okay, how can I best use these children in therapy Therapy to achieve what I want to do, but it means sometimes I have to really stretch because my plan for therapy may have been, again, like my plan is not about me, but you have to go in with a general idea of what you want to do, right? But sometimes I have to figure out that I have to stretch suddenly to be like, okay, so now I've got this two and four-year-old in here along with my six-year-old and they're very different levels and very different things of interest. So how am I going to use it? So either everybody can do in therapy or I got to figure out something to keep the two and four-year-old busy over there in the corner so that I can work with a six-year-old. This happens lot with Arctic. Like, you know, I've got the six-year-old I'm doing R with, or I don't know, whatever sound with. And then I've got two and four-year-old sister and brother over there who sister wants a baby doll and brother wants cars. And like, how's that going to work? You know, so you have to sort of figure out, okay, what's going to work? Can they help you in therapy? And then sort of have a discussion with the parent about, hey, this is what I'm trying to achieve. So this is what I want to do. How does that work for you? Can you help me keep them over there and still watch? You know, I don't know. How do you work? How do you normally do it? Yeah, I think a couple of factors come into play for me. I'm like, how many times a week are they seen? If they're seen twice a week, maybe one time we could be just mom and child, if that's possible. It's not always possible for them to have somebody watch their child at home. It's not always possible for them to do a drop-in daycare. That's not always feasible. I do try and work with the family, the entire family, to the best of my ability, because at the end of the day, they're all going home together. It's not like she's going to leave the two in the parking lot and be like, I'm just going to go home and work with this one for a while. I'll come back later. You have a babysitter service here that you just opened up recently? Like, no, we don't have that. That's not really what's happening. And you have to kind of keep that in the back of your mind that this is it. This is Mm -hmm. the family and you are working to help the entire family. And so how can you make them a part of the session? I try really hard to do that first. Mm -hmm. But if they do come in twice a week, I'm like, let's maybe do one session like that and then focus on the other session of maybe just me and the child and mom has the other two out in the waiting room or if mom has the ability to bring just the child, that one visit. Because can we kind of meet in the middle? So again, it's that whole connectedness, like how can we meet in the middle or reminding the family, hey, these are the goals. This is how best to achieve them kind of thing, you know, and then also how to find that common ground and then also be empathetic about the fact that maybe they can't, like you said, afford a daycare or afford somebody to 
keep the other two kids while you're at home. But if you start taking the child to therapy, if you start having those conversations with the parent and they're like, well, you know, I tried to get an appointment on Fridays so that I could do that, but you didn't have anything available. Right. And I'm like, Oh, well, that's a flag on the front desk to be like, right. we have to watch for a Friday to open up. Right. So right. that's just a scheduling thing. Mm-hmm. But because mom explored it at the very beginning, it wasn't re-explored. Right. And made sure to bring that to the attention because the front desk doesn't really know what's happening back in therapy. No. They just know that that child's coming in at two o'clock on Mondays and Wednesdays, mm-hmm. but really wanted Fridays. She took Wednesday. Okay. But that wasn't the best. Right. So I think we've always got to revisit because things change. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you have to sort of constantly check in with mm-hmm. kind of where they're doing. And really that has to happen at the therapist level. The same exact thing in terms of like groups of kids can happen in the school too. Sometimes you group these kids at the beginning of the school year and you're thinking, oh, this is going to be great. They're all working on the same sounds. All the moon and the stars all line up and they all could be pulled at exactly the same time without messing with specials and all that other stuff we talked about and then you find out this group of kids does not work together at all well you know like you're like this is not good at all so then you have to have some difficult conversations with the teachers so it's kind of a similar conversation to say like look I've got to do some rearranging here to sort of figure out and that can be difficult because they've got their schedule lined up you've got your schedule lined up and you're asking people to really shift and move things around that can really be difficult in a school year because when things get set they're set you know, the art teacher and moving art because these two kids don't get along in a group. So then you got to figure out again. So it's kind of the same thing in outpatient. Okay, I've got two-year-old sister, four-year-old brother, six-year-old. So six-year-old is who I'm working with. Four-year-old brother and sister don't want to play with any of the same thing, and they're not on the same level. You've got these other two, maybe you got a seven-year-old boy and a seven-year-old girl and thinking these two would really do well, and they just don't. And maybe their energy levels are both real high, and they feed off each other, and it's just like this crowd control thing. So you have to figure out, okay, can I get an activity that will feed into both of their energy levels and work well? Or can I have a difficult conversation with the teacher to be like, yeah, I thought all this lined up and it didn't. So how can we work together to figure this out? Because we have a common goal. Mm -hmm. These kids have to get speech therapy, you know? So how can I help you and how can you help me to achieve this goal? Because it kind of goes back to the same thing, this relationship and relational kind of situation, empathetic, asking more questions and knowing, hey, we're all on the same team here. We have to make this thing happen. Not the easiest thing to do. And it's hard to do. But at the end of the day, we have to help these kids make progress. And it's constant. It's all the time. It's it's all the time. So another common difficult conversation can be if, and this happens sometimes with physical therapists, but it can also happen, and it can happen with OT, most commonly, I think, with physical, probably second with occupational therapy, and then last as they have speech therapy. But a family comes in, and they want a piece of equipment, and they're like, hey, I want this stroller because my neighbor got this stroller. And so I'm here because I want that stroller. So you're the PT. So let's do that. Or I'm on this (laughs) Facebook group and this child just got this one and they have the same diagnoses. Mm -hmm. But it's like, okay, well, that happened last week with a speech therapist I work with. We hear it a lot. This family got this communication device for their child. I think I would like the same one. So typically I'm like, I hear you. Mm-hmm. So acknowledging, I think there's yep. a perfect place to start. Very positive place. I hear you. Yep. I hear you. Mm-hmm. How about we schedule an appointment with New Motion? They're our vendor or whatever vendor you use. There you go. New Motion got a plug. Right. <laughs> and we've used them for a very long time. We get them to come in. We set up an appointment and we go through the different pieces of equipment that are options for them. So now you live in that option place as a PT, you typically sit there going, we need to achieve this, this, and this. So you have key points in a piece of equipment of things that you need to achieve. Mom, what else 
do we need to be able to achieve? Because they're the ones going home with it. You don't want to get this $5,000, $6,000, $10,000 piece of equipment yeah. that becomes a really expensive coat rack that sits in the bedroom. So you want them to use it. And if it's not right, and it's not right for their child, it's not going to get used. If it's not easy to use. Yeah, that woman on that Facebook group, she might've gotten this one, but she didn't tell everybody she can't break that thing down and get it in her trunk. Or maybe she's got a big old van, so it works for her or something. I don't know. Right. I have no idea. There are yeah. so many different pieces other than the actual piece of equipment alone right. that you have to consider. You have to consider transport. You have to consider the size of the house. You have to consider hallways in the house. You have to consider can this go in and out of the bathroom possibly. Right. There's so many different factors when we look at equipment. It's not just like, oh, she looks really good in that chair. Right. Yep. The conversation that we spoke about earlier about the speech, you know, a parent came in and they said, hey, we wanted this piece of equipment. And the therapist I was working with, I just have to share this real quick because she handled it so well. Because a parent came in and they said, hey, I think we really need this piece of Ogcom equipment because I'm friends in this Facebook group with his mom and she really wants it. And our therapist handled it so well. She said, you know, yeah, I've been thinking about Ogcom for him as well, you know, but here's developmentally where he is and here's what we're doing in therapy. And because right now we're working at a PEC stage, you know, he probably is a candidate for Ogcom in the future. But right now we're working with PECs, very concrete pictures, you know, that kind of thing. And she says, so that's where we currently are. And we're keeping our options open because that could be one way direction to go. But we're also trying this too. And the mom was like, okay, yes, that's right. I remember we talked about that. And she's like, yeah, we have, we've talked about it because we have, but you know, things happen from session to session, right? So the mom was like, yeah, yeah, that's right. I remember that we are working on that. Great. Okay. Well, good. Well, he's ready. But I thought our therapist handled it so well. And I'm I told her later, I'm like, you just, that was so good. She honored what the mother said, but she reminded her of, yes, but remember, this is what we talked about we were doing and we're working in that direction. The mom was like, yeah, I remember that now. A lot happens between Thursday, the appointment and Tuesday's appointment, mm-hmm. right? The weekend and all kinds of stuff happens, but yeah. So anyway, but another difficult conversation, we got a couple more to talk about that therapists commonly run into, but one is, and this is maybe one of the most difficult conversations is a parent comes in and they come in, they know their child has a problem that the physical occupational or speech therapist is going to deal with, right? And the speech therapist or physical or occupational therapist after evaluating think, wow, there's a lot more going on here than maybe this parent may realize. You know, the parent may be at one stage with thinking the child may be at one level and the therapist is thinking they're at a different level. And so, and sometimes you'll even have parents who will sort of help a child in a test to help them achieve a certain score. And maybe there aren't really, I don't want to say they're not, maybe they're just not really quite in touch yet with where the child's level of ability is compared to where they want them to be. You know, I'm trying to be very politically correct and dance around this topic, but do you know where I'm going with this? Yeah. Thinking of a motor example, you know, and I've had numerous over the years, uh, but one in particular, the mom brought her child in and she had brought her child in for years. We'd seen this child very long time. She is now teenager, not making independent choices, not visually scanning, not choosing between two items. She's not moving um, on her own. No. She's very she's completely dependent for any transition, any sort of mobility, lacks head control. And so the mom had made a comment about just because she's getting to an age when we're talking about hygiene and mm-hmm. things like this and how that's going because we do that in the realm of PT and OT. <laughs> yeah. And we have to think this child is older and how can mom transition her and she has a Hoyer lift so that tells you how dependent the mm-hmm. child is for mm-hmm 
transitions. And mom had said that she's not taking steps to, this was in regards to like menstruation and female stuff. And she's not doing anything about that because her daughter might want to have children. Right. And so her daughter's functioning more cognitively. She's a teenager age, but cognitively she's functioning more birth to 12 months. Infantile. Or birth to 18 months. Birth to, yeah, younger. younger. So am I going to come in and be like, so, you know, that's never going to happen. No, that's not, <laughs> probably not be your best uh, way to start that conversation. <laughs> I, if my face didn't say it all, I tried to hide those moments the best I can. But I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And so for right now, because then we're going to focus on right now. Today. Here. What do we need right now? Because <laughs> right. I am not going to bash her dreams. I am not going to. I mean, she's talking about grandbabies. Yeah, yeah. And I am not going there with her today no. because, number one, I might not make it out of that room. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, okay. Again, I hear you. What do we need today? Right. What do we need tomorrow? And what do we need next week? Let's get through that. So when it gets really tough and you don't necessarily know how to have or need to approach that discussion, because that's a, I don't need to have that right now with her. No. <laughs> so a lot of times in those situations, we also have to think about our role. I mean, we don't diagnose. This happens a lot with speech. This scenario I'm going to talk about happens a lot with speech where if a child comes in, family's like, you know, well, they're really just not talking yet. They're referred on the referral for, you know, child's not using enough words that happens all the time and the family comes in and you've got like you know two and a half getting close to three-year-old child they're not really using that many words they're really not relating to people too much there's not much eye contact there might be some perseverative behaviors that kind of thing maybe some self-stem that kind of stuff they really don't have a way to initiate communication except for either scream for it or to run go get it for themselves or to take the parent's hand and pull and get them so as a therapist i'm thinking whew they're coming out pretty low expressively and receptive they sometimes understand significantly more, but on the test, they're going to come out really low. So I don't want to discount what the child may understand, but he or she's not maybe demonstrating that their play skills are not you know, commensurate with their age. And they're socially, they're really not connected with, they're kind of in their own world. And so I am thinking, goodness, there's a lot of characteristics here that are consistent with a child who presents with autism. Now, I can't diagnose this child with autism, but I can say there are a lot of characteristics that are similar to a child with autism. But do I want to say that to a family who's walked through the door and I do not know and I don't know them at all and they don't know me and there's no level of trust or connection relationship? I do not want to be dishonest. And the family's like, last week they were saying, I want some more watermelon. And this week they're not saying anything. And I'm thinking, okay, I believe that they believe that the child said, I want more watermelon. But based on what I'm seeing here today, it doesn't sound like it. So that's a hard conversation, a very hard conversation to have. So you want to start with, okay, so here's what we know, data facts, and you're here. And the goal for them being here is for me to tell them what the areas of strengths and weakness are and what I think I recommend, which of course I will. But you have to, as a therapist, also think about, okay, what is my role? And then how can I best support this family? So which goes back to what we said. We want to have some connectedness, some relation, but for where the relationship is. And so if the family doesn't really know me, I also don't want to go in here, okay, this child presents with the characteristics uh, that are consistent with other children with autism. That probably is not going to help me get this child in therapy. I could potentially be stepping out of my role. 
Because the family is only going to hear the word autism. And then they're going to say, oh, well, the speech therapist diagnosed with autism, which is not what I did. But I'm That's also not going to go over well with a pediatrician. No, it's not. (laughs) And I'm stepping into a real dangerous spot there. So I need to be real careful. I need to be very honest and very forthcoming. But I also need to honor where the family is, honor what they're telling me. I don't know them that well. I don't know the child that well. So I don't want to overstep. And I also want to be respectful of what they know. It is their child. They're the experts on their child. I might be the speech language expert in the room, but they're the expert on their child. And so we all need to make sure we understand our role. And then also remember, like we've talked about, how can I best help? How can I best help us say, well, here's the areas of strength that I'm seeing and maybe the areas we need to work on. Here's what I recommend. And here's some characteristics, not of autism, but here's some areas that I think we need to probably target that maybe the family might not be recognizing, like social skills, play skills. You know, if they've just come in and said, hey, I wanted to use more words, I can point out some other areas, which will be a gateway for me to help guide them to who they need to get to to best help their child Mm -hmm. if a diagnosis is the direction that they go. If you go in there with gangbusters and guns a-blazing, you probably won't get so far. And it's something you've got to ease into. You can't drop a bomb on one session. No. It's a slow, gradual process because... Like you said, it's not going to go well. You just got to know where everybody is and you have to pay attention. And you can't be too much about, well, we have to tell them. Yeah, we got to tell them what areas of strengths and weakness are. But what is our role when it comes to saying we do not diagnose? That's not our role. Mm Mm-mm. So another difficult conversation, but that is probably one of the most difficult or the most difficult. And we've all been there multiple times over and it is not a fun place to be. No, it's hard. No, it's the worst. It's awful. And it helps to have experience because now you've done it several times. You know what doesn't work because you've already screwed it up probably (laughs) because we all do at some point, you know, foot and mouth. Oops. When you're just trying to help. Well, I mean, when my daughter throughout podcasts, I'm sure people have listened that my daughter was born with a visual impairment and I will never have this happen to me that I don't think back personally. It's not about me, but I can't help but bring some of your personal stuff into. In any conversation I have with a family, I never put me in the middle of the conversation, but I empathize with the family because, you know, when they diagnosed my daughter with aniridia, which means she was born with an iris on either eye, they told me after three days after she was born in the hospital and the eye doctor walked in and said, well, your daughter was born without an iris on either eye and started asking questions. And he said, look, lady. I've got to be in surgery in three minutes. And then he left and walked out of the room. So I'm thinking, well, that's the last thing I want to do to any parent. You know, of course we don't diagnose. He was the doctor. He did diagnose. He said, but there was a lot better way he could have handled that, right? Because my job is to make sense sometimes of the diagnosis. Like, how am I going to help this parent through the diagnosis? I don't care what the child is diagnosed with. To me, whatever, it doesn't matter. I'm going to help you. A role that the PTOT in speech has is to help them through this diagnosis. What can they do? What can't they do? And how are we going to get to where they need to do what they're going to do, right? That's my job. So I don't care what you're diagnosed with. Bring it on. So it doesn't help me to go in and say, oh, well, your child will never have children or your child has autism, which is not my role anyway, or your child has this. My job is to be like, what can they do? What can't they do? And how are we going to work together to get them to the next level? It's funny you're saying that. Cause, and I know I've told you this story, but when my oldest was born. He was born premature and he did not hear for probably his first year of life until he got tube placement. Yeah. He has got tubes in his ears. Bless his little soul. And I had a case manager stand in a classroom when all the kids were outside in the playground and I was picking him up that afternoon. And she looked at me and she says, because socially he would play off by himself and he's still pretty quiet. I mean, you got to get to know him. Yeah. Well, Um, a lot of people in this world, you got to get to know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so she said, well, do you think he has autism? And I looked her square in the face and I said, he just doesn't like you. (laughs) So I've been on the receiving end to know 
her tactic did not work. No, it did, it not. did not work for me. It everything in me just like all the heat rose up and that's what came out. Yeah. I had one mother who told me one time that she was in a round robin where there was, she went to a developmental clinic and she had, I think a motor person in there, a psychologist in there, a speech person in there. And I, I think that was it. And the three of those were doing, wasn't me, thank goodness. So these three types of people were doing a round robin assessment where it means one person does part of the assessment, another one does something, another one does assessment, and kind of round robin for this little person. And as the team was leaving, one of them turned back to the mom and said, I hope you got good insurance. And I remember thinking, what? What professional had lost their mind to say that as they walked out of the room? I hope you've got good insurance. I mean, bless her soul, right? We could do a whole podcast of outtakes of what not to say. What not? I mean, Literally, but I'm thinking, how can anybody be more unskilled in having a difficult conversation than that? I hope you've got good insurance. What is that supposed to mean? That mother handled it really well because wow. they would have arrested me. If I had been the mom, I would probably be in prison because somebody would be dead. My mama hen feathers would have been in a big old ruffle. Well, you see what comes out of my mouth. <laughs> I mean, it would not have been good. There but, was no know, thought in that at all. It was just like... And I hope you've got good insurance. I'm like, what in the world? Yeah. So that's not what to do for a difficult conversation. But what is to do is know your role and then to approach it accordingly with tact and grace and empathy and relational connectedness and is the best you can based on how well you know this family, Mm -hmm. you know? So as we wrap it up, one of the common difficult conversations in our list is... Discharge, because ultimately that's the goal of every person that walks in the door. We Mm -hmm. say it from the get-go. We say it to therapists that just start with us is always be thinking of discharge. Discharge, And so when a therapist doesn't keep the family in the loop of what's happening with progress and where the plan is going, that's where you see the pushback. Right. That's where you see, no, 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 but we have this and this and we're not ready. And they've made a relationship with you this child has been coming in since they were little. This is a part of their life. And so now you're just ready to be like, oh, today's the last day we're going to discharge. You got to do a little bit more prep than that. And really it starts six months prior to discharge or sometimes a full year. I mean, I would challenge you sometimes even say a year in Depending some situations. On the child. Yep. In some situations. Yep. But at least if we're doing an updated plan of care every six months for a child, mm-hmm. that's really a good time to be like, so today we're doing an updated plan of care to determine next steps. Here is what I see happening, but I want your input. So where do you foresee this going? And, you know, if they, it's a back and forth. Again, we go back to the, this is a team effort. This is not just me taking my ideas and putting them on to the family. They are coming to me for my input and expertise, but also you got to hear what they have to say, because that is a huge part of the plan that drives the plan. But if they're giving you things that are advanced for the age or that's a time to have that conversation, have it now. So six months from now, it's not a surprise that we're talking discharge now, right? You're saying, see, look, they can do all this. They can do all this. Yay. This is a happy day. Not, no, I'm not ready. Right. And you're kind of prepping them during that six months. Like, hey, remember, this is where we're going when they can do this over. It's repeated over and over again. I had this conversation last week with a therapist. And so this child, she's got a pretty significant diagnosis and she's 12 years old now. We've been seeing her for a while, you know, and she's got some feeding goals. She's got expressive language goals, receptive language goals. You know, we're getting her an augmentative communication device and feeding. So we're starting to have that discharge conversation with the family now thinking we'll be discharging in about a year from now. So then when I'm thinking, that's why I was saying about the year thing, because with the Allcom device, it's going to probably take us a good year to get it programmed like we want, trained everybody with what we want, and then making sure that everybody really can use it effectively, efficiently, 
and the way that this child needs to see it. Now, that doesn't mean we'll never not see this child again for like little tweaks, but you know, at some point, she doesn't really need us every week for a speech therapy, you know? So, but we're going to start it now because if we started this conversation a year from now, that would be right. a big no, 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 no. Because this child, you know, gets all three therapies and everything. So we still need to start out now and we're best guessing about a prognosis, but that seems about realistic. And that conversation that you said sort of wraps up a lot of the things we talked about. You know, you've already got a relationship established with the family. You kind of know how their communication works. They've obviously been working with you for a while. So you know how to have those conversations with them. You're empathizing because you're like, Hey, if I just pull the rug out from under and say, Hey, we're done today. That's going to be a big, huge boom that they're not going to like. And we're always thinking about what's best for the child which is the things we've talked about all through with all those conversations. Mm -hmm. So those are a couple of the big topics that can be difficult conversations to have with parents, but all of those conversations can be difficult, but they can all have positive outcomes. So I hope the discussion through this was helpful to you as you are having some difficult conversations with parents or with teachers or with whoever might be involved, but they all can be, have a very positive outcome. It's just a sort of matter of how you approach it and how you deal with it. And I think it's just really important to note that we have to have them. We do. They're have not to. fun. Otherwise, they wouldn't be difficult. If everything was rainbows and unicorns every day, then, well, it's not, though. No. <laughs> so, so it's just not. The good, bad, and the ugly happen. The good happens, but the bad and the ugly happen. And so we have to deal with it. So we're just helping you to recognize what can be a difficult conversation. And again, the goal is to have a positive outcome. I hope this was helpful. Again, we referenced a couple of podcasts in this podcast. So check those out on The Working Therapist, also on pediatricdt.com. And we'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. For more information or to contact us, visit us online at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com.